This is Incomplete Design History, a podcast that explores overlooked and ignored topics in graphic design history. It is our goal to deepen and expand the knowledge, understanding, and interpretation of design history. Because history is messy. It's incomplete. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Mandy Horton. In this season of Incomplete Design History, we'll focus on BIPOC designers and design cultures. Africa is made up of 54 countries with over 2,000 unique ethnic groups. Even though there is no such thing as a visually cohesive African design language, African designers stand united, unafraid to mix photography and art, and grapple with racial and social tensions. Except the perception of African design is usually reduced to images of traditional folklore, recycling and humanitarian design, and things that contribute to stereotypes and worn-out cliches. This image of an easily digestible and understandable continent has spilled over into the typefaces that portray these same stereotypes. Take, for example, Newland, an exotic typeface used for the Broadway production of The Lion King in films such as Jurassic Park and Cool Runnings. Newland's designer, Rudolf Koch, influenced by the horrors of war and having a newfound religious devotion, applied his fervor to his types and designs. He wanted this type to create the religious fervor he felt. The intention was for it to be easily seen on broadsides, posters, and anything far away. Due to this strong visual presence, it ended up being used extensively in advertising design of all kinds in the U.S., regardless of Koch's religious intentions. No one knows exactly how Newland became the typeface used most commonly to represent Africa, but it is perhaps due to the kind of assumptions that led to other reductive visual representations that only serve to reinforce stereotypes regarding the continent and its people. Typefaces like Newland are relics, misused from the start in the U.S., and serve as ugly reminders of the cultural othering and stereotyping in designs that Africa was often subjected to. Saki Mofindakwa, a designer and the founder of Ziva, Zimbabwe Institute of Visual Arts, took the energy behind the history of Africa's rich visual culture and solidified a type movement already in full swing through his extensive research into African syllabaries. The real story of African alphabets is more complex and spells out a visual history in direct contrast to the westernized typography that is widely taught and treated with reverence. African alphabets, Africans, and African Americans descended from the diaspora are taking back their visual power and designing their own futures. Africa is not only the cradle of mankind, but the birthplace of letterform design as well. Africa had the first known writing system, which was in use in Egypt over 5,000 years ago, at least 1,250 years before the Sumerians. Rock paintings found in the Sahara and Atlas Mountains surrounding Egypt have influenced ancient Egyptian and Mesopotamian cultures. Patterns and hieroglyphs used by these two cultures come directly from these first African paintings. Free from the Western idea of the grid, African design is more concerned with expressions of the spirit and nature as reflected in non-rigid and fluid freeform characters. Pictographs, symbols, and even oral storytelling traditions would give rise to writing. Rock art, like that of the sand people in southern Africa, scarification, knotted strings, tally sticks, and symbol drawing are all considered proto-writing, precursors to the writing systems that would come later. 
The first recognized form of proto-writing in Africa is the Adinkra system. These symbols are printed in the sap of the Badi tree on cloth. Origins begin almost 400 years ago. Adinkra means goodbye in a can. Motifs are all stylized designs that represent proverbs and historical events. They are printed on cloth and worn and displayed on important occasions, such as a funeral or wedding. Incredibly dynamic designs, geometric and highly stylized. They also serve as a record of the history of the Adinkra people. Used on the Ghana coast of the Asante region, the Akan symbol system used gold weights as proto-writing. The weights were carried in small bags called eja. They were used for commercial or storytelling purposes and were modeled after animals and people. The Akans began as a confederacy of five states that became an empire that controlled the slave trading routes and gold trade until the British defeated them in 1900. When writing emerged from proto-writing in Africa, these systems included both alphabets and syllabaries. A syllabary being a set of written characters where each character represents a single sound or syllable. They can therefore be much larger and more complex than alphabets. In Africa, history is often told from a Western colonial narrative, which included the out-of-date idea that African writing systems are primitive and unsophisticated. A part of early colonization resistance and later decolonization was the preservation of native African languages, since colonizing countries did their best to stamp out native African culture and language both spoken and written. The result is that African type design has an unfortunate but solid tie to colonialism. Although Africa has a strong visual history that predates colonial interlopers on the continent, an interest in preserving African culture and celebrating African independence from colonialism goes hand in hand in the formal recording of many African syllabaries. Starting around the 1870s, Africa faced the aggression and colonization of various European powers. Many African countries resisted invasion to various degrees, but only Ethiopia and Liberia, who still retain most of their native languages and writing systems, were successful. Facilitated by the collapse of the slave trade and the push for new systems of capital, the motivations for colonization were purely economic enabled by the inherently racist mindset that white Western men was superior and given dominion over the world. Economic troubles in Europe motivated the settler colony model that affected many African countries, such as South Africa, Tunisia, and Namibia. Europe attempted to solve these issues, such as poverty and unemployment by colonizing Africa, establishing trade routes and imposing tariffs before anyone else would mean being able to claim exclusive rights to the African continent and all its resources. In an effort to prevent war, Otto von Bismarck of Germany drew up a plan that allowed for clear steps to be taken to claim ownership. Of course, no Africans were consulted. During the Berlin Conference of 1884, so-called European diplomats drew up various protection treaties for African nations whose resources they wanted. These treaties were written with very loose language and were then interpreted very differently by Europeans and Africans. Europeans used them as a foot in the door to the African nations to start acquiring power and resources, 
while Africans saw them as just diplomatic documents. Tensions rose as European powers invited themselves to take whatever they please, protected by legal documents with suspicious wording. They wanted to take goods by force and get rid of Africans and intermediaries for goods such as palm oil, cotton, and rubber. Greed led the way to outright aggressions. Understandably, African nations resisted. Military engagement came from nations with centralized power systems like Ethiopia. Ruled by Menelik II, the Ethiopian army defeated Italy in 1896. Despite the resistance, much of Africa fell to colonization. Europeans had technological advantage with better weapons than African resistance fighters, and they simply couldn't compete with it. Add in the societal fluxes in Africa that weakened political systems, and by the 1900s, the majority of Africa was colonized by seven European powers. Central to all colonizing governments was the idea of civilizing the native Africans, which perpetuated the idea of the white man's burden. Popular at the time, it was an ideal put forth by Rudyard Kipling, that non-white people needed to be educated and controlled by white people as part of the white race's benevolent obligation. The end of World War II in 1945 marked the beginning of the end of colonization in Africa and the start of independent ruling. By the 1990s, everywhere in Africa, except South Africa, were ruling independently. 1960 is remembered as the year of Africa, with 17 territories gaining independence during this time. Decolonization is an ongoing process even today, with many European power structures still at play in Africa. Out of a sense of cultural preservation, many African languages started to be recorded, especially during the 1930s. In line with ways Africa resisted colonial forces, one powerful way to resist and persevere was to record their languages and to have the power of the written word. This form of shared solidarity helped give rise to the Africa First mentality of post-colonization. The rise of written African languages can also be seen as a precursor to pan-Africanism. Colonialism ultimately interfered with ethnic identification in Africa, and having written languages helped move to a firmer sense of community and sense of self in Africans. The figure who stands out most when looking into the history of African writing and typography is King Ibrahim Njoya, the 17th king of the Bamum Kingdom located in Western Cameroon. In 1896, at the age of 25, King Njoya invented the Shumam writing system in an effort to preserve the Bamum culture in the face of ominous advances of colonization spreading across Africa. Prior to this, the history of Bamum was preserved through oral storytelling traditions. King Njoya was said to have been inspired by a dream to design the Shumam language. However, it is more likely that many outside influences, like Islam with its Arabic written script, inspired him. It also seems likely that he was influenced by other African communities who were working to create and preserve their own languages and histories through the creation of a system of writing. Schumann went through three iterations. The first version was logographic, containing 465 signs. Over time, it was edited down to be simpler and easier to learn. The final version had 83 signs, 10 numbers, and 73 syllables. 
The modern form of this language is called akauku, has 20 syllabic characters, 10 of which are numerals, which can also be used as letters. In his time, King Enjoya had Shumam taught in schools and used in government and hospitals. In 1904, he built a museum to house the artifacts and books in this new written language. The collection included some 8,000 manuscripts. A type system was created. He went on to design calendars, maps of the kingdom, administrative records, wrote down legal codes, and manuscripts that related to the history of the Bauman people. Farming calendars, pharmacopoeia, and even a Kama Sutra-like book whose title translates to the Book of Love. Written by King Enjoya himself in 1921, the small leather-bound book contains detailed studies of the human body, as well as physical and psychological relationships between women and men. It is the earliest known written record devoted to the art and science of sex and love in Africa. The techniques and relationship advice are all based on cultural wisdom of Baumam, as well as additional insights from King Enjoya and other notable subjects. After he invented Shumam, he asked his dignitaries, friends, and other court members to create art and records in the language that reflected the culture and the history of the Bamam. It allowed his people to record their own history that were no longer in danger of being corrupted or having omissions. King Enjoya invented Shumam while Cameroon was occupied by Germany, who more or less left him to do as he wanted. It helps that he had a cooperative attitude. He made the choice to welcome the Germans in 1902, working alongside them and acting as the de facto German colonial ruler, as many other African leaders did during the time of colonization. He also had an attitude of cooperation and allowed the basics of the German language to be taught in schools alongside Schumann. Germany lost World War I, and by a League of Nations mandate, Cameroon was seen fit to turn over to the French. The French, however, were not so forgiving, and they destroyed many of the inventions and creations that he and his friends had made when they invaded in 1916. They destroyed the Schumann printing press, books and libraries, records and sacred religious objects. The French took away Enjoya's autonomy as king and ruler. He no longer had any influence over what his people were taught. The French did not tolerate his language or sense of culture as the Germans had. King Enjoya was exiled in 1931. Two years later, and still in exile, King Enjoya died at the age of 66. Ninjamala became king after his father, King Enjoya, was exiled and took up the mission of the preservation of Bamam art, history, and therefore identity. In 1960, after Cameroon declared independence from France, Ninjamala brought what remained of the sacred objects back to the royal palace's collection, adding paintings and art to the collection. International trade for Baumam art and historical objects has endangered what remained of King Enjoya's collection. However, thanks to the efforts of his son, the Baumam Museum was given a grant of 28000 specifically to the Baumam Script and Archives Project, to keep these objects safe and preserved for future generations. It now houses the largest collection of writings in indigenous African script in sub-Saharan Africa. Njamila ruled from 1933 to 1992. While he did not hold the same power as his father, he used his life to fight to preserve the Bamam culture, and thanks to his efforts, the language is still being written and taught today.
King Enjoya wasn't the only one to create a writing system to preserve the language and culture of his people. Several others were doing and had done the exact same thing. The Ve syllabary is often considered one of the most famous African syllabaries. The specific origins of the Ve are unknown, but Duolu Bukele is credited with the first recording of the language in 1820. It is sometimes said that Bukele was inspired by a dream where a white man brought him a book of signs. When he awoke, he could not remember them, so he was inspired to make them with his friends. The Vey people, however, believe that he phoneticized the Vey's pictographs. The syllabary has 192 characters with consonant and vowel units that read left to right. It is also said to have inspired the Bamum script, which in turn was influenced heavily by the Cherokee syllabary due to the missionaries in Liberia experimenting with it as a writing system for the Liberian languages. The Mindy syllabary was part of the 1900s wave of recorded syllabaries. It was created in 1921 by Kissimmee Kamara, a Muslim tailor who created the system in three and a half months. It is similar to the Vi syllabary but reads right to left and is purely phonetic with 195 characters. It started being used primarily for correspondence, record keeping, and accounting. Va Basa is the written script of the Basa people. Va means to throw a sign. Initially, bark and chewing leaves were thrown to make the signs and it evolved into a written language. The language allowed the Basa to avoid slave traders. The language was almost lost due to colonizers outlawing the use of the Va language. But around 1900, it reappeared. Liberian chemist Thomas Gibian Vidua Lewis observed former slaves in Brazil and the West Indies still writing in Va. He brought this back to Liberia and it is still used to teach in schools. Lewis also commissioned the first printing press for the Basa alphabet. In 1922, the Somali alphabet was created by Sisman Kennedy. In 1973, an alphabet was created for the Somali using Latin characters. Prior to Somalia's independence in 1960, only English speakers could get jobs in the government. By 1985, Somali was used in most higher education. Capelli was created by Chief Gabulu in Liberia in the 1930s. It was made out of graphemes and written left to right in horizontal rows. Despite the importance of its creation, it was unfortunately never popular as a writing system. Learning more about the history of typography in Africa reveals a lot about Western bias, in the sense that until recently, proto-writing was ignored as a viable means of writing, and people even still try to discredit Africa as the first place of the written word. Due to racist attitudes, Egypt was often seen as non-African. People refused to acknowledge it as part of Africa and saw it as immune to the influence by other African cultures, even with clear evidence to the contrary. The history of typography in Africa is the history of the continent. The act of formulating a standardized writing system to represent a spoken language is itself type design. In Africa, typography is bound up with the very preservation of languages and cultures in the face of colonization by and subsequent independence from European powers. To reduce all of this history down to the Newland typeface and primitive imagery is in an effort to evoke an exoticness of Africa is an injustice to the people who fought tooth and nail to preserve their languages, their cultures, and their identities. 
This episode was produced with the aid of a grant from the University of Central Oklahoma. Research and writing credits for this episode are from research assistant Dean Kelly, with additional research assistance provided by Ebony Sales. Story editing provided by Spencer Gee. Sound design and engineering by the University of Central Oklahoma's Center for E-Learning and Connected Environments. Music by Christina Giacona and Patrick Conlon of Onyx Lane. I would like to apologize for any mispronounced words or names in this episode. We worked hard to find correct pronunciations, but some were difficult to find, and even when found, I am sure mistakes were made. If you would like to contact me about this episode or about the podcast, please email me at hello at idh.fm. That is H-E-L-L-O at idh.fm. Our website can be found at idh.fm. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Incomplete Design History.